Hello and welcome. You are listening to our podcast, Ayahuasca Assisted Therapy. Learn all you need to know about the safe, ethical, and responsible use of ayahuasca for healing and awakening. Meet the wisdom keepers, space holders, and guardians of this powerful plant ally. Hear directly from the people about their ayahuasca healing experience. To embark on your healing journey or to start a new career in psychedelic assisted therapy, go to my website, avatarhealingarts.com and get in touch with me. Thank you for liking, subscribing, and sharing this video. Please leave a comment and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to our podcast about ayahuasca assisted therapy. And I'm back here with Alex. And today I'm super excited because we're going to share with you guys the best integration practices for ayahuasca integration primarily, but also any plant medicine integration, any plant medicine or sacred plant you working with, I think you can apply, you know, the same kind of principles. So we're going to share with you all five best practices, you know, based on our experiences in this field for many, many years. And also we're going to share with you some traps and pitfalls that uh, you can avoid to make your journey more uh, enjoyable. We'll see how much we can cram into this episode. We might do another one. So welcome back, Alex. Good to have you here. Thank you, Nina. Nice to be back. Great to see you. <laughs> Let's start with why Why do you think, you know, that this topic is so important, you know, for, for people to hear about? Um, I think because a lot of people struggle with it integration. Um, they may have wonderful experiences during the ceremonies, during the retreat, during the weekend, but then they go home and go back to the same circumstances that they live in. And that discordance can be really tough to navigate. Um, and then also things have changed for them internally, but their life hasn't changed yet. And so that can create friction. And so um, I think it you know, especially people doing deep, intensive work with plant medicines, um, it can it can actually create turbulence if they're not working to integrate the experiences, the lessons, the healings into their life. Yeah, so very true. And that like so nicely fits into my first uh, <clears throat> favorite practice, which is have a guide, <laughs> have an integration guide. If you've never done this before, guys, you know, have an integration guide. That's the best thing that you can do to yourself. Like think about it that way that if you go on a journey or if you go on holiday to a foreign country, you research, you prepare, you have a map, you <laughs> Google map, probably you have a GPS, you know, you have guides, you know, if you are going on a particular tour and it's not that you cannot do it alone, but definitely it's more kind of trial and error experience. And as Alex said, oftentimes the experiences can be very challenging, you know, when people can give up on themselves or, or their journey because simply they don't have the tools or, or the resources at the moment to, to face and process, you know, what is what is happening with them. So I think, you know, the most important, if, if this is your first time and if you are doing a deep dive and you really want to approve something in your life and deeply change, then, then definitely I would say, 
you know, work with as an integration guide who who has familiar with this this uh, journey and has enough experience and tools and, and and expertise to hold space for you. What do you think, Alec? Um, I think it that makes a lot of sense, especially for people who are doing deep healing work. You know, it would be like doing deep healing work without a therapist or a healer or someone that you're working with that's helping you to do that it's much harder to do it on your own and you can um kind of like you said learn by trial and error um versus get the experience um of you know people who have done this for many many years and who know the terrain know how to deal with the challenges and kind of know what to avoid um especially in these psychedelic states where it can get confusing. You know, sometimes people get messages or they have visions that don't make sense to them or are surprising or confusing or may upset their understanding of themselves or their lives or their world. And um, trying to figure that out on your own can be really tough. And um, it, there can be a lot of, it can create more confusion, actually, you can get lost in that. Yes. So- and I would like to uh, share an example with people that, you know, personally happened to me, but also numerous people I work with over the years is, you know, specific, I think to the ayahuasca, probably other plants can do this too, is to bring up memories, you know, especially early memories from your childhood that were suppressed into amnesia. These memories were suppressed for a reason. So these are normally very traumatic memories that we are talking about. And I personally went through this experience and how it feels, you know, when you are in it is that everything you thought about yourself and your life is is changed. You know, the whole context, like everything is now suddenly shifted in the light of this new information that you ever believed, that you ever, uh, um, you know, thought about yourself, your family, the dynamic, you know, your understanding. and, and that is, as Alex said, as is very disturbing and can be very, very scary, you know, because it's kind of like, you know, feeling like somebody ripping the, the, the carpet out under your feet and everything is just kind of falling apart, um, you know, around you and within you. So these are the type of experiences we're talking about that can happen, not necessarily will happen to everybody, but can happen. And, and, you know, it's really hard to navigate, even if you have support, it's intense experience. But if, if you, if you don't have support, then this can be potentially, you know, re-traumatizing you in a way, you know, what's happening. So is there any example that, that you want to bring, or you want to share Alex, you know, regarding this topic? Um, I mean, I've had many experiences with um, participants participants and clients who um, things they had forgotten came up that turned out to be really um, have had, you know, that had a profound effect on them, like in childhood or even young adulthood, uh, things, sometimes things that happened to them, but also things that they did that they now, you know, they had avoided or repressed or had forgotten about. And then that came up and then realizing that they had um, maybe some actions they'd taken that they felt tremendous guilt or shame over um and you know what to do with that um it's easy to go into a very dark place uh when you are kind of seeing and acknowledging something that you've done it's different than something that's been done to you um and but that's part of taking responsibility and accepting and um learning to love yourself includes you know loving 
the parts of you that made some mistakes and things that you now know better. Um, so I've seen that many times. Um, yes. And, uh, it, you know, those are usually situations where people really need a lot of support. That's so good that you mentioned that because that is so true, you know, like the one type of experience is more bringing us into that victim state and that look what happened to me. And the other one is bringing us into the role of the perpetrator and look what I've done, you know, a different yeah kind of story but both it can be very intense so thank you for pointing that out so what's first on your list um in terms of integration yeah i mean i think the first thing is um to give yourself time and space and not rush back into your life i i, I see this a lot and it's understandable because in the modern world, we have very busy lives, very frenetic, very active. And people may do, you know, two and two weeks doing, you know, medicine work in, in the jungle and lots of ceremonies. And then the day it's over, they fly right home and then they go to work the next. And that doesn't give the space and the time that's needed for all of these things to be digested. You really need uh just time, unstructured time where you're not busy, where your mind isn't occupied to allow things to come up and to move and to also have time to reflect. So to me, the kind of the first thing is really um, make time, give yourself time. Don't just go back to business as usual, because you're really kind of squandering the experience by doing that. Um, whereas if you give yourself that space and time, um, you can learn so much more and gain so much more out of it. And, and actually, your understanding of what happened will shift as well. Yeah, so well said. And uh, that wasn't on my list, but I'm putting on it right now, because I always say this to people. And in my program, which is a year long program, uh, I recommend people to take four weeks off mm -hmm. minimum four weeks and 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 the reason for that is because well the the traditional preparation the dieta is at least well minimum one but ideally two weeks mm -hmm. when you would withdraw from the world and it, we are not just talking about the physical diet you know the food that you eat but you are you know shutting down your senses and and withdrawing you know not consuming information not socializing not being engaged in sexual activity so on and so forth so that's already you know a time to kind of switch out from this world and and prepare for the ceremony prepare for this rite of passage for this initiation you know that you're going to go through and you know after the experience what happens is that you're 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 so open, you know, your your awareness is so expanded, thanks to the medicine, right? And, and there will be, I call it this window of opportunity, the first four to six weeks when this expansion slowly contracts back to hopefully not back to where you were. But you know, it's not you're not gonna stay in that state in that medicine high in that afterglow that we are talking about specific to the ayahuasca. And uh, so so, but in that window, in that in that in that space of contraction, you are still in that expansion, and there is a lot of information coming through. And if you go back to your life, and if you go back to eight-hour job and your chores and your family and everything, you're gonna start focusing outside, you know, to deal with your life, and you're not gonna pay attention of what's happening inside of you, of what kind of information is. 
passing through and and you will miss you know a huge opportunity to keep receiving you know from the medicine important information that is very significant for you on your journey so my clients normally come down like minimum a week before the ceremony and they do stay three to four weeks after and chill out here on the beach and journal and be in nature and rest a lot and I always say to them that that imagine that it's like an operation when you go to have a hip replacement you're not going to back to work you know the next you know morning the next so it is like that but it's an energetic operation it's a psychic surgery you know in a way but it is nonetheless it it, it makes a big impact in your system in your in your being so you need that time of recovery you know when you when you are present and when um just you know start um bringing this experience back down on on material um level so i would love to know from the listeners like what is your experience if you ever had an experience with the medicine did you take time off was it hard to go back to your life how was that for you please leave a comment for us because i know what what alex mentioned that a lot of people we call it the culture shock you know Go, going from the jungle from a retreat back to your city life or whatever corporate life whatever is is that you are doing so I would love to hear from you and um, yeah thank you so much Alex for <clears throat> for bringing this up what what do you recommend people personally and what what is the ideal time do you think that they they shall take off, off from their busy life and and what kind of activities you know people can do, do, do? well it, it really depends on what's possible for the person. Not, obviously, not everyone can take four weeks off afterwards. Um, I think if you can take a few days, at least a week is, is ideal, if that's possible, um, and use that time um, not only, you know, to reflect on what happened, but, you know, also follow the post-retreat, post-ceremony restrictions, how important those are as part of integration. So um, using that time to see what are the things that I remove to prepare for this, do I want to add back? Um, sometimes you may not want to add everything back. Uh, you may notice that you feel lighter without alcohol or certain substances or certain foods. So one thing is you work with the restrictions and respect them. That's an important foundation for integration. And then two, you can use that time to consider, okay, how am I feeling now without this? And do I need to add this back? Or if I do, how do I do this in a way where it's um, kind of gently and seeing how it feels and kind of find a balance for me with these substances. And it also could be behaviors, the sexual restriction. A lot of people have compulsive um, relationships to sex, or pornography, masturbation, you know, you name it. And having that break gives you a chance to uh, reevaluate that and see how you feel with a, with a more balanced relationship with those, those behaviors. So that's Definitely one thing is I think work with the restrictions, not only follow them, but also um, evaluate your relationship to what has been removed. And I've seen people who really take that, run with it, and they'll go like, you know, I'm going to cut out alcohol and drugs for six months. And, you know, this felt really good. I, it was the first time I've, I've taken a break from these substances. And they cut it out for six months and it's transformative for their life. Transformative. So that that is definitely um, one thing to do. Um, also, you know, journey 
journaling, spending a lot of time writing what's coming up for you and what happened, and sifting through the ceremonies and the experiences and the shifts that happened. Journaling is a really great, I just find it to be such a helpful tool. And it's something that leaves you with a gift afterwards because you can always look back on it. And I, I know I do this myself. Occasionally, I'll look back at my journals from, you know, ceremonies long ago or other kinds of personal work I've done. And it's so amazing, actually, to see how much I've changed over time and what has shifted. It's, it's very encouraging and, and validating. Um, so that is a, is a big one for me is I always recommend people to journal, keep a journal throughout the whole, the entire process, you know, buy one just for the ceremonies, work with it with your intentions beforehand, journal during your experiences with the medicine and then afterward yes that's definitely that's that's on my list <laughs> actually that's the second but um yeah i i just wanted to um circle back to what you said that people shall take minimum you know a week after the ceremony and definitely not go back on monday to work after a weekend ceremony or something like that and i think that this is my personal opinion and i'm sure you know like not not everybody will agree with that but i personally think if you can't take a few days off you know then you are not serious about your process about wanting to change and really dedicate yourself and commit yourself to that then don't do this you know like take some some mushrooms or something like there's so many other ways because you know we have this powerful tool and I feel that this is a little bit of misuse of the medicine when when people are not taking it so seriously and not you know putting their part in, into the process. And um, yeah, and I would say that if, if you if you can't even do that, that maybe you want to think about why are you doing this and how committed you are to change your level. So let me know what you think about it in the comments. Um, and, and back to the journal, that's, that's one of my, that was number two on my list, actually, because I, I really big fan <laughs> believer in journaling. I think, uh, as you said, it helps people process. It helps that stream of consciousness flowing that we talked about, especially the first uh, while after the ceremony, um, because you are you are you are putting it out. You know, you are not. It's not building up inside of you. You are keep expressing it by writing, so that that stream is keeps coming. So you can go way deeper when you do this. Number one, number two, it will uh, help people to. Um, just exercise and practice mindfulness and i know that for many people meditation is very difficult most people don't even understand what meditation is you know like so and so some kind of other mindfulness than like journaling i think it's a good start for people who are not so familiar with these practices and just get into that habit of every day paying attention and checking in with yourself how am i feeling what am i thinking about how is my body feeling what's going on in my internal landscape and reality and 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 cultivating this habit and cultivating this relationship with yourself cultivating maintaining awareness um, helping you have a sense of detachment you know when you write even when you write about difficult things it helps you to see it you know from a different perspective in a different way so oftentimes when people are writing and they are in 
inquiring about something, the answers just come onto the paper because mm -hmm. you know uh, they are processing it this way. And 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 personally, for me in my program, I require people to journal. You know, I don't take on people who are not ready to come to this. And uh, people send me their journals uh, one day before the the session. Um, and this this requires you know great trust you know from the people to to be that vulnerable and that there but that's why we have right the safe container so people can do this and when i read through people's journals you know i i i see a lot of things that they wouldn't necessarily tell me or they wouldn't necessarily notice right because it's harder to see your story when when you are in it it's much easier to to see it from the outside that's true for everybody so in my work you know for me it gives so much extra information about the person and what's happening within them than just seeing them for you know occasional or regular sessions and and we keep notes of the journals and the sessions and and we are creating kind of like a mind map during this journey and and in the end uh, people get a pdf like a visual pdf about mostly about their shadow stuff and how their shadow and their programming particularly for them manifests and and people love that you you know, they just like, oh my God, it's it's so clear. I can see myself now. I can see these parts of me. So it's much easier to not fall into those patterns, into those behaviors anymore. So I find that to, to be crucial, you know, I think so much gets unnoticed, especially in people's busy life and, you know, social media that um, it's it's necessary, you know, to do this in order to access deeper information um, for the people. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great tool for me. And if I'm in doubt or confused about something, I do not journal every day anymore. But if I have something that I'm like, mulling over or struggling with for sure the first thing I do okay let's write this out to have more clarity and more understanding what is really happening so yeah like um is there anything you would like to add to the journaling part yeah I mean I think you um you bring up a really good point of how it can also highlight themes that we may not notice especially you know a part of journaling is also looking back on it Right. And so when you look back at what you've written over the last two or three weeks and read through it over the last month, you start picking up themes that keep coming up and patterns that show up in your writing. And that can be very illuminating. Like you said, things that you may not notice because it's just so embedded in how we think, how we act. Um, but then when we read it, kind of almost third party in a way, you're reading your own material, it gives you fresh eyes and things start popping out and things become more noticeable. That can be really important for your, you know, your growth and your healing and your integration. And I would include in that also um, dream journal, because that is another kind of journaling. I also recommend it and think it's so important during, like you said, this expanded state after the afterglow period. Um, people tend to be more in touch with their dreams, also during retreats, during ceremonies, tend to more have more vivid dreams, more memorable dreams. And if you have a if you're journaling these, writing these down in the morning, include that in your journal. Um, you can actually find that there's a lot of insights and lessons, messages from the medicine, um, internal guidance that shows up in these dreams. And um, similarly, when you look back at them, you might notice there are themes within the dreams, repeating 
symbols, imagery, content that can be really important for your own growth and healing. So, so true. Thank you for making this point. Actually, I think that dreams are very significant during the whole process, but especially at the beginning, because we process a lot during dream time when your ego is asleep, you know, so there is not so much resistance in the system. And that's why, you know, a lot of processing can happen in dream time. And I actually had, you know, pretty wide experiences but one of them was when I had a series of dreams and 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 every day it was continuing well Hmm. it was the same dream in slightly different way and for me it was about being lost and I had this this type of nightmare not night terror but nightmare since I was very very little that I'm lost somewhere and I do not recognize where I am and I I don't have my keys or my purse or I have nothing with me and um and I'm just lost, you know, and I'm freaking out. And I'm going to people and asking for help and, and people turn away and nobody wants to help me or talk. And then the second, uh, t- the second night I had the same dream, but in this dream, I I find a person who I could talk to who was a junkie, you know, and I, I remember that in my dream, I was thinking that this is funny that I am lost and he is lost as well in so many ways and we are trying to guide each other or something, you know. That has actually mean big meaning for my process. But anyways, and then the third night, I, you know, I was lost the same way the dream start out. And then this very lovely family uh, helps me. And then I we find my bag and, and, and they invite me to their house and they treat me really nice. And, you know, it, it was really, really um, uh, connected to my process that I was, it was very meaningful. You know, these dreams, it, it made a lot of sense to me and it also showed me how you do process things in your dreams and as you are processing content that is arising you know your dreams can change and and many people told me about similar uh that you know they had continuous dreams and then the the theme uh changed at one point did you have any experience like that um definitely um dreams evolving as you work through things. Um, Absolutely. I I mean, I had my own experience of that with, um, you know, my relationship with my father who passed away when I was a child. And in, you know, some ceremonies, he had came up in the ceremony and then started showing up in my dreams. And I started connecting and communicating with him and noticed he looked different as the dreams went on as kind of healing happened and dialogue happened and forgiveness, acceptance, all these things happened, he shifted in the dream and then eventually um, left. So that was was really, and some of it even bled into real life where things would happen in in these dreams and I would see it the next day. So uh, yeah, I'm a big believer that there's a lot of power in dreams and you you can actually do a lot of healing work just with your dream. So it's a great compliment to uh, ayahuasca practice. And actually, you know, traditionally, dreams are huge in um, shamanic training and apprenticeship, not just in the Amazon with ayahuasca shamanism, but around the world um, and in many different traditions from, you know, uh, Greco-Roman to African to different indigenous traditions in Asia and, um, and the Americas. And of course, in Buddhism, dream yoga, I mean, 
dreams, uh, Australian Aborigine practices. Um, dreams are supremely important in many different traditions, but in within the Amazonian tradition, you know, my teacher would always say, you know, when I'd come to him and share, oh, I had all these, you know, I'd have a lot of cats show up in my dreams. And he'd be like, yeah, that's the spirits. They're testing you. You know, they, they show up in your dreams while you're on a diet, while you're doing a shamanic diet, and they communicate with you and they teach with you in the dreams. And that's a, a big part of the Amazonian tradition. Um, so it's kind of a perfect complement to, to ceremony. I, I, I totally agree. And yeah, it's Tibetan dream yoga, I think is 5,000 year mm -hmm. old practice. So definitely not invented today. And if you're feeling, you know, called to this, then you can go way deeper into lucid dreaming and dream work and a and lot of good stuff that I'm interested in is definitely on my to-do list. Um, yeah, tell us if you ever had, you know, crazy dreams in your ayahuasca integration or, you know, any processing that happened, share with us in the comments. Um, my next one on my list is, is nature, you know, especially for people who come from city environment and go back to city and we're on a retreat or we're on a ceremony or something or even if they were just out in nature for the ceremony and just go back to the city I think that can be very overwhelming for many people and um, I think one of the good way when you feel overwhelmed is just go to nature just go to a park sit beside the tree put your back to the tree close your eyes you know breathe so also on my list but you know nature has a very harmonious vibration and frequency so when you are in especially raw nature but you know any kind of nature would be pretty good then you are in an environment that is a harmonious pretty high vibe environment versus if you're in an office where people are you know agitated or stressed or whatever then then you are in an environment that is is quite low vibe disharmonious so it, it will be way more overwhelming for you so just simply you know if you're struggling if you're feeling overwhelmed i'm fine just find nature close to you and go sit in nature and just relax or you know whatever it takes your fancy just spend some time there because i think the, the mother earth or the biggest healer what do you think a hundred percent um I, it's also on my integration list personally for my own work and what i you know recommend to clients and even just in my therapy practice uh, i you know often recommend go just spend time in nature get out of the human world the human world is so full of dysfunction right and you know for a long time um the media the internet you know all the stuff going on in the world right now that is friction is in the human realm but when you go into nature, you you experience something very different. And that that harmony, that balance, that grounding, we're very much, I think, um, evolved to feel at ease and at peace there on a very basic level, because that's that's our original home. The the homes that we live in now are relatively recent inventions, you know. Um, so I find it to be really helpful anytime, like you said, you're overwhelmed, you're stressed. Um I, I certainly do myself. If I, I actually, you know, if I if I don't go to nature regularly, I feel I feel off, um, and it, it's become a, a very important part of my own just self care practice. So if you don't have, you know, I'm personally I'm lucky. I live in in Northern California, and there's nature everywhere. I can go to a forest, and, you know, ten minutes away. But if you don't have that, what is a great 
um, option is any kind of body of water. So a river, even if it's a river around it near a city, a lake, a pond, the beach, the ocean, because you're immediately connecting to this rawness of the water element. It's an important part of the natural world. Um, and yeah, like you said, a park, a tree, just spending time with the tree. Um, but, you know, nature is very healing for us and it helps clear our mind. It helps to calm our nervous system. And it's a, often what we're feeling, I think, is um, an existential pain of not having enough nature exposure. I think it's subtle. We don't realize it always, but there is a pain there of that disconnect that we've 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 broken away from nature and there's parts of us that really miss it and that need it definitely and uh, just for you know just a little interest fact most of the people that i worked with um like i would say like 90% of them moved location after their journey experience and people who lived in a city moved out of a city. I yeah. really noticed that people who work with this particular medicine, the mother ayahuasca, that this, this connection to the earth is getting restored. And, and you, you kind of, as you said, you, you cannot live there, you know, it's get taxing on you. And, and you have to, you, you don't feel good anymore in a city. You feel very depleted, very, you know, frazzled, overwhelmed, all that. And, and I, I, I find this also very interesting as people heal and recover this connection to nature that, you know, they move toward nature. It's beautiful to see. That's certainly been the, my case as well. Yeah, right. Lifelong city boy. But after, you know, working with ayahuasca and going down this medicine path, it, it became just too noisy. Easy, yes. too frazzled as you said like the energy i could feel it and sense it it affected me a lot more i think we become more sensitive and that um nature feels much more or being you know more open space more green more trees more nature just feels more comfortable and feels more at ease and, ah you can breathe again definitely i also grew up in the capital city of hungary in budapest 26 years and then i lived um in ireland in a beach town it's a smaller town and now i live in a tiny village in Mexico on the beach so I'm like you know like withdrawing from that time. and I really don't like to go into a big city anymore and before I didn't have that problem so I I, I can sort um testify um another thing that I put on my list and wanted to kind of highlight a little bit is breath work and breathing it's a big part of uh, my work to teach people to breathe a little bit not you know big big course or anything but when I prepare them for the ceremony I teach them certain techniques to breathe you know in the ceremony when they are in intensity or when they struggle with something and also in the integration breath work is our main tool for emotional release <clears throat> what I use to teach them people how to use their breath to navigate when they are emotionally overwhelmed. And this not just I'm referring to like a panic attack or anxiety attack and how to prevent that or to calm your nervous system down, but also, you know, handling anger, grief, you know, any kind of intense emotion that can people can be flooded emotionally in the integration when they empty and release a lot of suppressed emotions that they carried for a long time 
And this can be scary because you suppress emotions that you don't want to feel. So obviously you're not comfortable feeling them or you feel that you are not equipped, you know, to feel them. And uh, so it can be intense for people, these these emotional waves, you know, washing over. I, I call it the emotional roller coaster. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, when people are emotionally overwhelmed, automatically people stop breathing and they just like hold their breath and that just makes everything worse. So just simple breathing techniques, which is, you know, long deep breath through an open mouth, you know, count this many or whatever. So just simple uh, breathing techniques and pranayama to help people to get back the agency over their body and their nervous system, especially when they are emotionally overwhelmed, you know, and, and beyond the breath, you know, use movement and sound as well. So a little bit of somatic experiencing, or maybe even, you know, sometimes you need to let the scream out or something, obviously in the proper environment. So I, I find that these tools have people to actually process, you know, what is arising. And, 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 you know, when this happens is it, you know, you, you return into equilibrium and balance, right? If you, if you, if you are in the overwhelm and you don't know what to do and you are just, you stuck there, like it's, it's worse. Like now you are there, you are holding on into the discomfort. So these tools, like the breath, like simple movement, simple somatic movements and, 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 and sound and giving sound or, you know, any kind of sound um, is, is really, I think, uh, useful for people. And this is something that they learn these little tools and, and then they can use in their, in their everyday life when they can assess, okay, this is a situation. I know what to do. I have tools, you know, and I, I can, I can use this, you know, I, I think the breath is so powerful and I know that I'm biased because I'm, that was one of my basic training was in in rebirthing and different types of breath work but you know i think in all of course all yogic traditions like many many traditions talk about the importance of the breath um the breath is one of the shortest uh way to influence your nervous system when we are working with trauma you know we are working with nervous system that is in a fight flight you know when triggered you go into the fight and flight all the time breathing is one of the best way to affect and calm down your nervous system and take back you know the power over what's happening to you and how how to navigate that so i i always you know teach that in in the integration to the people um these different techniques that that they use and i had many people who had uh, regular panic attacks and just with you know, a couple of steps of breathe this way, orienting the space, affirm that this is a false alarm and so on and so forth. They could completely um, take back the power and, and stop the panic attacks and, and, and eventually not even have any more panic attack uh, with no pills, you know, no nothing. And, and you have a panic attack because you are holding so much fear that you cannot hold anymore and it comes out, you know, and that's why you have a panic attack. So we need to find ways to release the fear, panic attack. So, and that's kind of deeper work that we are doing the integration, definitely facing some fears and releasing some fears. But um, what do you think about these tools and, and how do you use them in, in your... Uh, well, once again, I agree 100%. I, I also work a lot with breathing, um, 
it's it's the um, I would say the number one tool I teach people before you know when I'm orienting to a ceremony that we're doing orienting people um, it's you know I always go over what are the tools you can use during the ceremony that's the number one because exactly as you said it's it's the most direct way that we can actually consciously influence our nervous system and our our physiology and so you know slow deep rhythmic breathing is it creates a relaxation response. Whereas when we um, are in panic mode, we contract, right? And we freeze exactly as you said, and that energy gets trapped and we actually get stuck with this fear response. Um, and so breathing is a huge part of in my own practice. I, I also work with breathing with my clients a lot um, because it's so helpful. And there's so many different types of breath work. So you can use breathing to relax and to calm. You can also use it, like you said, to move emotions. Um, and you can use it to access deeper places um, by, you know, more like forceful, uh, intense breathing, rhythmic breathing that's um, faster paced, but conscious. You can actually access deeper parts of yourself and um, stored emotions for release. Uh, so it's a great tool set and um, very versatile. You know, it's it it's, can be used in so many different ways, and there's so many different types of breath work. Um, and so I also recommend people just explore and just learn, try different try different breath works, and see you know what works for you. There's yogic breath, right? There's there's um, you know pranayama. There's holotropic breath work. There's more relaxation-oriented breathing. Meditation, often there's, you know, probably the most common meditation form is focusing on the breath and observing the breath. So, um, yeah, the breath is, is fundamental. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so interesting to hear the parallels and uh, what our top integration practices are. Well, I think that that just shows that we are, you know, like professional people and we know what we are doing because it's, it's really not, you know, brain science, you know, in that way that I think that all path leads there, right? Mm -hmm. And if we would have completely different lists, that would mean that one of us is really like on path, no, like one of us is lost. So I think it's, it's awesome, you know, and I find this often with people who actually work in integration that we come to the same conclusion through our work yeah. experience through work with the medicine yeah. and 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 of course there is one truth so to say you know at the end of the day and and if you are walking this path good way with the heart then then you're gonna get to the same place you know than the other people who also walk this this uh, uh something i wanted to say about that what what else is on your list um yeah. You know, a, a big one to me, it's almost the most important one. Um, it's like all of the other roads lead to this, which is take action, make some kind of practical behavioral change in your life. Um, and that could be letting go of an old behavior that's not serving you anymore. That could be learning a new tool or a new skill or a new strategy. Uh, it could be taking an insight from the ceremony or a message and putting that into practice. Maybe that is seeing a therapist, right? Or getting integration support. If it said, which I have a lot of clients that come to me because they got messages and 
ceremony that said, you need to work on this trauma that you haven't been dealing with. So taking action there would be like getting help with that, but do something, you know, that's what the reflection and the processing is to help you get to a point where you do something about it, because it's the action, the physical changes, the behaviors you do that actually lead to the change in the long-term transformation um, in your life. So to me, that's so I always ask anybody if they're asking, okay, how do I integrate? I always just say, just find one thing you can do to put what you experience into practice. And that could be, wow, the, the ceremonies were amazing to connect with people so deeply and share all these personal things. I never do that in my, in my life. I've never had a space where I can talk about, you know, my pain or what meaning of life or purpose or things that are deeper or spiritual. Well, if that really stuck with you, then put that into practice. Join communities that are more meaningful and are more purpose-driven or try to deepen the relationships in your life that with people who are open to that. So find a way to translate something that you experienced into uh, a behavioral change or a physical practice in some way. And, and I, I follow this myself. If I'm ever doing my own personal ceremonies, to work on something and, or I, I go to ayahuasca and say, Hey, what's going on? I got something's coming up for me. You know, give me some guidance, please. Uh, whatever messages I get, I, I will ask, okay, how do I put this into practice in my day-to-day -day life? And, and then make, and then that's my homework is, is, is putting that into practice. And the times that I do, it's tremendously helpful. I feel much better. My life goes much better. The times where I haven't, then I'm kind of still in the same stuckness and I come back later and I get the same message and, you know, I get the scolding from, from Ayahuasca and then it's like, okay, you didn't do your homework. So, you know, do it, do it, do the work. Yes. I mean, this is what integration is put into practice, what you learned embody, you know, weave it into your everyday life, into your behavior. Otherwise we are talking about some intellectual masturbation or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's why I always say to people that it has to happen. Change If your life didn't change, if your relationships didn't change, if you're still the job that you hate, still in the toxic relationship and stuff, then, you know, you're not in the right track. Then go That's and the get point. a therapist, you go, go get help with the integration. So yeah, leave us a comment if you're struggling, if you feel that you're circling and you're going to ceremony and ceremony and then no real change is happening in your life because then you're stuck somewhere and the best is as Alex said you know to get help and to get unstuck you know and that's why I think my program is so successful because that one year it's a long time and I bring people through all this that we were just talking about and actually the last one on my list was asking the right questions mm. you know that's 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 also something that I think it's it's a valuable skill during the journey, but also in your life in general, because our culture is so much about who knows better. I know better. No, I know better. I know more, you know, um, and it's really, I find through working with the medicine that she taught me a lot as the good questions. That's, that's where the magic is. You know, the answers are there. Everything is there, but how to ask for
for the source of your healing, how to ask for the source of your liberation, how to ask the question and, and to have this reflective, how do I put in, uh, this into practice, right? What can I learn from this experience, you know, instead of why is this happening to me, right? So asking the right questions can lead you to the source of the problem. And, and we do that a lot in the integration. Um, Gabor Mate calls it compassionate inquiry. I just call it asking the right questions to um, get people in that mode that if you don't know something, just inquire, yeah. ask questions. And, and a part of you knows and the answer will arise, you know, and, and this is also so empowering for people. This is very much connected you know, taking agency back and taking their power back and following their internal guidance and um, and connecting with that voice within that comes from a higher place, the higher self and not, you know, from the shadow aspect, so to say. So I think it's, it's, um, it's very important that we ask the right questions and we get into this mindset that instead of searching for the answers, we just ask the questions and we watch, we present, we listen to what is arising because it's it's there and, and also obviously it implies an element of trust. And I teach people how to do this because many people don't know how to do this at the beginning because our society doesn't promote, but it's it's very, very valuable uh, skill. And I think it it. Um, for me, what it connects to big time is the belief systems and the core beliefs and the beliefs are the software that create the behavior because you're going to act upon what you believe, right? That your behavior will be catalyzed by your belief system. So by this type of inquiry, we can dig down to core beliefs that are upholding core belief systems that are false or limiting or very disempowering for you. And once you change that belief or belief system or software, the, the behavior actually automatically changes because, you know, that the, the beliefs determines the behavior. So um, there are times I notice in the integration when people know what they should do, they have the awareness, but they stuck, they cannot do it. They know they want to do it, but they cannot do it. And oftentimes what I find that uh, in these cases, there is an unconscious belief that is blocking it to happen. So for example, uh, um, somebody wants to advocate for herself and speak up and now has this person has a lot of strategies and understanding why is this important and how to do it, have a step-by-step -step action plan or whatever. When it comes to putting it into practice, this person just freeze, cannot cue any of that. Um, that can be caused by uh, a belief that is saying that, you know, good girls keep quiet or something like that, you know, that is totally unconscious that you don't know you have and that kicks in when you are in that situation trigger for you so that's another reason why you sometimes need help with this to approve these things and then to have this type of inquiry and questioning so you can go inside and see what motivates you know behaviors that you would like to let go of, but but you're struggling you yeah i think it's a great point um i would i would add to the that belief is often, I mean, that's learned, right? We're not born with any beliefs. We are molded and shaped by our environment, our parents, our families, our school, our peers. Um, so beliefs 
like you just described that are limiting us and and trapping us and not you know that's keeping us from taking action that actually fits with who we are as adults um often that belief is attached to a formative experience or something that happened, or it could be something that was observed. Like I saw my parents act this way, and then I developed a belief that that's what love looks like, right? That could be just more observational over time because we mimic, you know, that's part of how we learn as mimicry. Um, but it could be also like a traumatic experience that taught me it's not safe for me to speak up. And so you part of that inquiry then leads you to, oh, well, there's a trauma here that needs to be healed so that I can change this belief and evolve it to the new adult's perspective and understanding that it is safe for me to speak up and it's important for me to speak up. So I, I definitely, definitely agree with that. I think inquiry is a very powerful process. It's the root of therapy and is inquiry. Um, but also it's a, it's a root of Eastern meditative contemplative practices. What is the nature of self? What, you know, where is this coming from? Where is this attachment or this aversion rooted? These are all inquiry questions. So it's a big part of Buddhist contemplative practice. And I also, I, I, I kind of do the same thing that you're describing is but something that is a challenge will we'll, um, just ask the question and leave the space for the answer to arise without going to left brain analytic problem solving. Um, allow space and the question, the answer will come up in could come up in a dream, it could come up in journaling, it could come up during a meditation, but it's a very powerful practice when you just start asking and then you allow the answer to arise arise on its and especially when you're working with plant medicines and you know ayahuasca medicine spirits they are assisting that process too so it does i agree it takes some trust that okay the answer will come ayahuasca is still supporting me um but it it does it does you just have to kind of learn how to how to listen really more than anything. It's kind of like, how do I shut off the mind so I can make space and listen? That's a, a really important, I think, lesson. Yes, so much so. And uh, yeah, this is so exciting. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to uh, start wrapping it up for today. So let us know if these techniques, if these practices are helpful for you, if you have experience with any of that, if you have a practice that you really love, but you, we didn't talk about it, share with us in the comment and we can uh, hopefully explore that too. And uh, tell us how ayahuasca changed your life because as we said, that why we are doing it is to change, to create change, some kind of positive change in our life. So uh, if you work with this medicine, how, how did it change your life? We would love to hear about that. And if it didn't change your life and you're working with this medicine, then connect with Alex or myself for some personal support. And uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you. Before we wrap up, Alex, is there anything that uh, you would like to add? Um... The only other thing I would say is, uh, you know, commune, connect with people. Don't do this alone. Don't be alone in your process. This is very personal and very emotional, very intimate work. And make sure that you are connecting with somebody, whether it's people in your life who, are, who can, you know, handle this and it's okay to it's safe to talk to about this. People from the ceremony that you connected to an integration circle, but get community around your process. So it's not just to you. Um, and that's really helpful because it can be very isolating to be doing this deep personal work. Even if you have a individual guide or counselor, 
um, it still can be a very isolating experience. So get community gets support around this beyond the self. So true, actually, uh, that should be on our list. The community, I think, especially in, in psychedelic healing, that that's needed, you know, because there's still a lot of stigma and suspicion and, you know, um, just, just misinformation around yeah. what's happening so people can feel isolated or sometimes judged or attacked even. And, and it's good to have our tribe you know and our community to to um support us on this journey and we're gonna come back next time with the traps and pitfalls which will be i think also very exciting episodes so stay tuned hopefully we can do it in september because we we didn't have time to go into that today but i think it was important that we highlight all these things and and i'm really trusting that people will benefit from this episode a lot you know and if you're in this pattern and if you want to hear about some other topic also leave a comment for us so alex is there anything that that you are offering or you are up to that you would like to share with people right um aside from my uh private practice doing ayahuasca integration um there's also i'm working with a retreat center in costa rica called reunion and we're kicking off a series of um uh retreats specifically for lgbtqia communities so there's one happening at the end of um the very end of october is our first the first one and i'm going to be facilitating ceremonies there there's a lot of workshops around healing related specifically to um our lgbtq communities so uh, i'm excited about that and there's going to be several happening uh next year as well at, at reunion integration uh, reunion um, experiences it's the name of the retreat center that's so cool so yeah if you are part of that community i think definitely check this out and if you resonated with what alex was sharing like connect with him we're going to share his uh, website but you can share it now what's your website alex um it's transcendentcouncil.com right transcendentcancel.com but we're going to share it in the description as well and if you are interested in my program ayahuasca assisted therapy that is a year-long deep dive one of my clients said it's like an archaeological dig of your soul and <laughs> i like that and you want to create you know deep deep transformation then please feel free to connect with me and we are so excited to launch our first ayahuasca assisted therapy facilitator training which is basically ayahuasca integration training so this is training for people who want to support others in their integration like myself or alex and this training is specifically focused on ayahuasca um and the only training actually that focused on this medicine. And I'm going to teach this framework that I've been using for the last seven years in my practice with just amazing success. So yeah, check that out on my website. And if you want to hear about that, please get in touch with me. And, and we have some offerings and, and calls and, and materials that we can share with you. And this is happening next April. We are starting. So it's only 12 people. It's going to be invitation only. So very special little group of Wayshores. We are calling in all of you who are listening to this and feeling the call. And I think, you know, that this is going to fill such a gap in the psychedelic healing market because there's so much places opening and ceremonies and retreat centers and people serving the medicine. There is really a great 
offerings. And I think there's very few people like ourselves who specifically focus on plant medicine integration, in, in our case, ayahuasca integration. And uh, believe it or not, the first number one most Googled keyword on Google is ayahuasca. <laughs> so from all the psychedelics. So there is a huge number amount of people who are interested and who already, you know, work with the medicine and just hearing about, oh, there is such things like integration. That's how it started with me. <laughs> so yeah, get in touch if you're interested in that and just happy to have you leave a comment, share the episode and subscribe channel. And I hope to see you for the next episode when we're going to share about the traps and pitfalls of the ayahuasca integration process. So I'm sure it's going to be exciting as well. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening and leave a comment if you enjoy this episode. Help us grow our community by sharing this episode with your friends and subscribe to our channel to receive the latest on ayahuasca assisted therapy. To embark on your healing journey or to start a new career in psychedelic assisted therapy, go to my website avatarhealingarts.com and get in touch. And of course, stay tuned for the next episode.